Aloha, welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I am Daniela and our co-host is Jamie. Today we talk about midwifery diversity and why it matters to preserve it and some things going on in Hawaii regarding regulations and what that means for our community and birth options and your autonomy. And then at the end, Jamie gets called to a birth, so our podcast gets cut a little early, so we didn't dive into some of the things we were meaning to. Uh, So at the end, it's a little bit of an abrupt ending, but now that is what happened. Jamie had to get on to a birth, but we still felt that there was enough golden nuggets in here that were worthy of being shared. So if you have any questions that you want us to elaborate on anything that we didn't really get to because of the shortness of the podcast, feel free to contact us at our email, which is womanonfirepodcast at gmail.com. We'd be super stoked to hear from you. All right. Enjoy our short and brief episode. Aloha. We are live recording Women on Fire podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's been a long time since we recorded an episode. Yes, <laughs> the world has been busy. Yeah, exactly. It's not because we didn't want to. We've tried many times, and sometimes there was babies coming in. Sometimes other things just kept getting in the way. But we are here. Happy to be here. Daniela and fellow host Jamie. Yay. Yeah, we're so excited to talk to you guys again. So we just talked for over an hour on our own here. And so we're pretty warmed up or fired up about stuff <laughs> and ready to share it with you. Um, before we get into those topics that we have planned out for today, we kind of have some carryover stuff to address from our prior um, our prior podcast, which was, I think we titled it prenatal care in general. And it was kind of talking about, you know, prenatal testing and prenatal care um, and all all these things. So um, I think one thing I wanted to say about it was just wanted to make sure that people understood that, you know, we're not trying to be so simplistic of just, you know, eat your veggies and you'll be solid. And that's, it's not that it's not saying that that's your guarantee but I think what we were trying to get at was that there's a lot more that you can do in your own prenatal care um, than is often really encouraged in the mainstream models of care of maternity care um, at large anyways so there was that part of it and there's a couple quotes that I found in a reading of a book called real food for pregnancy that exemplifies this that it's like take control of what you can right it so the quote is pregnancy is full of unknowns but good nutrition stacks the deck in your favor um and i would take that a step further beyond nutrition it's the whole lifestyle decisions day-to-day you know um emotional all of it the full package so i think that's what we were really trying to get at um so just want to make sure people didn't get that misconstrued of like but i ate all the veggies and i still got preeclampsia or i still whatever so yeah sometimes stuff happens but you know you can that doesn't mean don't try to do something <laughs> so yes and i think you know we we spoke pretty heavily in that podcast about you know it's good to have someone to bounce information off of as well um i mean whether you cho- choose to not have 
prenatal care or you choose to have prenatal care or, or anywhere in between spot checking, you know, that it is good to have, um, you know, don't just take our advice, um, <laughs> that this isn't medical advice. This is just really experienced-based um, information uh, of working in the community and doing a lot of our own independent reading and study as well. So, um, so we're not offering medical advice ever, but we are just speaking from a place of working with, with different families for a long time and, and doing independent learning um, beyond just the mainstream, like, this is the education. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, this book that I mentioned, you know, like, that's available for <laughs> anyone to get. You don't have to have any title to get this also sacred nutritional knowledge and this book isn't a medical text for medical people it's just like humans figuring out their relationship to food <laughs> um, yeah uh, that actually is a really good um book especially if people are having issues with blood sugar regulation and hypertension now it's um that and also the brewer's diet is also a good reference point for people to look at if they have pre-existing conditions or if things are starting to look like they're heading in certain directions you know these are these are really good resources to look at um because oftentimes um even some of the classes that folks would take for say gestational diabetes or otherwise, um, there's still a lot of holes in it, or if it doesn't, it may not pertain to your lifestyle in particular. So it's just good to have a couple different reference points instead of just, just one line of thinking. Totally. Yeah. So this is a great, just, it's a jumping off point. We're inviting you to like be more curious. Like we're, just scraping the surface here. We're like, go dive in. There's so much more here than what we're, we're, we're bringing forth. Um, another quote I really love from the book, and I'll stop quoting, but it's just really awesome. And it really drives in this point, I think, um, about, you know, yes, things are out of control, but there's some things in your control. So, quote, sometimes this line of thinking, the idea that your body will take care of all the needs of fetal development without your input, is extrapolated to mean you have no control over the trajectory of your pregnancy or the future health of your baby. Your body will just, quote, do what it's going to do, end quote, and all you can do is hope you were dealt a good hand of cards and pass along good genes, but that's only partly true. So yeah, sometimes, you know, there's nothing we can do, but that doesn't mean that there's not ever any, it doesn't mean that there's never or that there's always nothing that you can do. <laughs> the point is, sometimes there's things you can do is the point, okay? <laughs> so, you know, hopefully that inspires you to be um, really curious about what it is that you can't do. And there's that proverb, like some Hebrew proverb of like, pray and tie up your dog. Like, you know, you can pray all you want, but if you don't tie up the dog, the dog's in the right way. But, you know, there's some things that are in your control. <laughs> And some different. Um, yes, so, exactly. So hopefully, um, if anyone was triggered in any weird way by that last podcast, hopefully this helps bring some more well-rounded um, perspective to what we were trying to get at. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, moving along to our next next topics. Um, 
guess what we're fired up about now. (laughs) (laughs) What we were talking about. (laughs) Yep. Well, it's that time of year again, um, where we're getting close to the end of the year, which means that at the beginning of next year, it'll be the legislative season, which means um, midwifery based, well, I mean, that's just when regulations are coming up and things are getting voted on and um, there's all the hearings um, and it, right, all this midwifery regulation stuff becomes relevant again. So we're talking about Hopefully it. you all just voted for your state and house representative, your state house representatives and your senators and, um, you know, voted for people who have similar ideals as you do, <laughs> or at least stand for some of the same causes that you believe are um, worth standing up for. Yeah, because this is where it plays out. This is where it matters. Because we've seen it in the past, sometimes with the midwifery bills, we're like, we don't understand. Why are they not voting for what the majority of the people are coming out to say? And it's, and then we say things like, oh, we need to vote this person out or this person in. <laughs> so it's like, uh, this was the chance. Yeah. So it is now relevant and hopefully we'll see how it plays out. But we want to carry on this conversation with you publicly. So that you know what's going on and what's relevant and um, you know if you need catching up on what midwifery regulation uh, history and context is in Hawaii we have a podcast on that it was one of the maybe first ones we did Um, so you can listen to that because we're not going to necessarily hash that all out again we just want to carry on the conversation from here of okay so now what Yes, because we now do have a law and we now do have about a year's worth of work that the um, law had um, requested that they do some more information digging on um, what are the true numbers of what's happening in our community and do we have a real dangerous situation here or do we um, or do we not, you know, what is what is the state of affairs so I think that we kind of feel like we've got even better information to to support the angle that um, midwifery is very diverse and um, and the diversity is alive and well in the state of Hawaii and in fact sought after, um, which I think is really important to to recognize. And even though the people came out and said this and all the hearings and the you know, now we have the hard numbers to show that um, that we have something to preserve and that the people want that preservation. Mm-hmm. Right. And that it's been working, that midwifery unregulated with all its diversity in Hawaii is, right, like you said, it's not the public health crisis that some were framing it out to be. So given that that's not the case, you know, we've got solid ground, even with numbers, to push for the protection of midwifery diversity. So that's what we're trying to figure out, folks, that's, (laughs) um, you know, for this next legislative season, it's like, well, what would be the best way to help preserve that diversity? 
And hopefully by listening to these conversations, you guys can get an idea of why does that diversity matter? You know, what's, what's to it? <laughs> what happens if we don't preserve it? What do we lose? Um, and what do we gain by trying to preserve it? Um, so hopefully that's our goal here. We want you to hopefully care and realize why does it matter to care? <laughs> um, yes. And, and we also very much realize that we're up against a lot of um, not only misinformation, but um, which, which in, involves a lot of fear because if people don't fully understand, then they have more likelihood to be fearful um, because they just don't know. And we also have many organizations um, that are now global that are trying to um, make midwifery a practice of medicine. Right, that's the mainstreaming of midwifery. When you hear about midwives throughout the US especially, but it's happening globally. Um, but especially in the US where it's like, yeah, okay, more states are legalizing and licensing midwives. What's actually, what that really means is, by and large anyways, because every state's different, is it's the mainstreaming of the medicalized midwifery model which is a fine model. The issue here is that that is the only model that the Hawaii law at the moment is fully recognizing. So that's the tricky part. Well, like I'm all for the CPMs getting their, um, uh, you know, all their perks that they want in integrating with the system. I'm all for it. But that doesn't have to come at the expense of other midwives and other types of services also being present and alive and thriving in the community. So that's what I'm hoping to figure out here collectively. Yes. Um, and I think um, to spin off on that is that not only does has Hawaii only recognized that medical um, lineage or not lineage, that medical um, type of midwifery, but they really have only recognized one pathway of education as well. So um, as we have talked about, I think in previous podcasts, you know, NARM as a certifying body has two routes of um, education pathway. And one is through an accredited school. And there's five, five accredited schools, I think. I have to look up that number. Is it a little bit right. more? Not a lot. <laughs> maybe, maybe seven. Um, and there is, uh, and then they also recognize um, something called a portfolio evaluation um, process, and that is an experienced-based pathway apprenticeship model, um, which still involves actually doing um, independent reading and um, draft, you know, passing tests and doing all kinds of. Um, doing all kinds of um, book work and um, conferences and, you know, it's just not structured the way a classroom scenario would have it as the Mika accredited schools seem to have a little bit more of like, this is the module, this is when the homework's due, this is a module, this is when the homework's due. Um, so there's two ways to obtain a CPM certification through the, the certifying body. However, the state of Hawaii has only recognized 
the pathway which involves going through a MEEK accredited school. And, um, and that is from here on out. So if a midwife is, wants to get a license in the state of Hawaii, but has not gone through a MEEK accredited school, but maybe has actually um, a different pathway of licensing through their state or has gone this apprenticeship route, they now will have to go back to school where many physicians, if they change states, they just take the boards in that state um, and then can license in those states where in Hawaii, if you're not through this MEEK accreditation, you cannot become a CPM until you do. Right. So I want to drive that one in for people because that's one of the big problems with this, the law as it stands that, you know, a big push for it by the supporters was often, you know, no, this is to increase access to midwifery, you know, to make it for the people. But what happens when you're limiting one, yes, the accessibility of students, I mean, there's no school and the non institutional or non school based pathway, the portfolio evaluation process pathway is not a recognized option, then like, what have you done? You've limited the ability for the community to rise up into that career. So they have to leave the state altogether to get that access or that information become a midwife. Okay, so you, you've limited the amount of people that can really access that information and become a midwife and thus be a midwife available for the community. And the few midwives that we do have, most of them don't qualify for this very narrow scope um, of licensure standards that Hawaii decided upon. Um, so more context for people of how does this look in different places? Like, is this isn't this just how it is everywhere now? Well, it's not. Um, <laughs> so I'm in Texas at the moment because yes, I as student midwife had to um, kind of leave the island for a bit to go expand my horizons. So I'm out here. And so they do have mandatory licensure here. Um, however, some differences that I've learned so far is one, when they implemented those laws, they did have a grandmothering clause. So midwives that were already practicing, they're like, okay, you guys will be considered licensed midwives. It's just for the future, whoever wants to try to get into this career has to jump through these particular hoops, but we're not gonna make you guys jump through these hoops because you guys have already been doing it. So you guys are here, you guys are solid and you're in, but that's not what's happening in Hawaii. So FYI, um, you know, many of the midwives are getting just left in the dust. Um, as far as some people are concerned, but we're trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, there is no grandmothering clause in, in the state of Hawaii's uh, licensure law. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, that weighs heavily on my heart. So I hope someone's out there taking um, bullet notes of all the issues here that we're trying to pinpoint for you. Um, okay, so grandmothering clause, the student thing. Another thing here in Texas that was different was, um, Oh, they still recognize the PEP process. So you don't have to go through uh, an accredited school in order to become a midwife. And a parallel we can draw here is if you guys are familiar with um, the bar 
the bar exam, I guess, for lawyers, you don't have to have gone to a particular school in order to sit for the exam. The exam's hard as F, <laughs> um, but it's like if you did self-study and you can pull it off, then shoot, you can pull it off and become a lawyer and be licensed. Without ever going to college. Exactly. So. Right. It doesn't matter if you went to the elite school or not. So, well, that's another thing here. Like, that's all still alive and well. There's, and there's other states that actually all you would have to do is take the NARM exam and then you would qualify for licensure. Yeah. Let's talk about So whether you went through the PEP process, whether you went through a MECA accredited school or you just sat for the exam, the exam is the qualifier for licensure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's what I recently learned about Utah where I think we probably mentioned this before that they're voluntary based licensure, meaning you can be licensed or you could be non-licensed. Um, the cool thing is, yeah, you can be licensed, but that's not dependent on being a CPM. You could be a CPM and licensed. You could also not be a CPM and still licensed. And it's like you say, it's based on some state established exam. Yeah, you know, like, cool, if you can pull it off, we'll let you be licensed. Uh, contrast to Hawaii at the moment, it is, you can only license if you're a CPM and you can only, and it only counts if you went through an accredited school, of which we have them in Hawaii. So, so that's a, a big challenge that um, really in, uh, impairs how much midwives can actually be available. I, yeah, yeah. And, and we already were experiencing a shortage of midwives is another thing. And then the pandemic made that extremely obvious as well. Um, Maui's a great example that we had our major um, COVID outbreak was within the hospital on Maui. And so there was a large number of people who were second guessing whether they should have their babies in that hospital because that's where the largest outbreak of COVID was. And they, the midwives over there are overwhelmed. They're turning people away. There's not enough midwives practicing who licensed or not and and the report is that people are going to going to anyone who has any experience um which again just sort of goes to show that it's not really coming from the people <laughs> that this um pressure to license or this pressure to make these law these laws um about midwives right and people are smart enough to talk to people and uh get information about their training and their perspectives and approaches in order to decide if that's the kind of approach um in person that they want to work with i'm trying to get at the whole different types of midwives and people being you know able to discern for themselves that there's different categories and each one has different um trainings because uh, that's what they're doing in utah you know i was talking to my friend who's out there i'm like well aren't people confused that you could be a licensed midwife uh but be a cpm or not but then you could also be a cpm and not be licensed or you could not be a cpm and not be licensed like aren't people just so confused and she's like no <laughs> she's giving me the super simple like 
no. <laughs> um, where sometimes in our community, it's been this whole convoluted issue that keeps taking center stage in this conversation of like people need it to be midwifery needs protected. To be thing. Yeah. Like, oh, man, midwifery is so water. confusing. They people can't figure it out on their own. Right, but it's like, nah, come on, give our fellow humans more credit, you know, we got to trust them enough to figure out differences in different types of doctors, different types of maternity providers, different, I mean, there's already going to be CNMs and CPMs, what's one more category, you know, (laughs) people are pretty smart, come on, if they can raise humans, they can figure out categories. (laughs) right that's right i mean look at all we've been able to do as humanity i don't think that people need to be protected from their choices (laughs) well and i think that that kind of too i'll let you finish what you're gonna say but that kind of leads us into some of our adventures that we've had yeah let's go there these (laughs) listeners know nothing of our adventures (laughs) We haven't told people about it. Yeah. Yes. It's been a whole year, more than a year. It's time. We let them know what we saw on our big voyage, our big odyssey yeah. on the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I even think, like, for me, it was even before that, it was that I had an invitation to, to fly to Washington um, two and a half, three years ago, because a woman who lived here was having her baby in Washington and just felt like the laws were too restrictive. And so we flew over there. Um, My colleague and I flew over there and helped her have her baby. So, um, and that was the first time I, not the first time, but that, that really hit home to me of like, huh, like, women are flying people in to avoid restrictive policy on how they can birth their babies in their own private home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we, and then Daniela wanted to go adventure to LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm hungry for more knowledge and more perspectives and, growing the allyship so yeah um somehow through another student midwife through the awesome digital community i got connected with dr Stu in la and he was so friendly i just reached out i was like hey you know uh i'd like to come you know learn by your side out there are you down for that and he was like yeah just tell me when you're gonna show up (laughs) you know um so he's very welcoming and he's very much so interested in passing along information, uh, the knowledge. He wants people to carry it out. Um, so for those of you who don't know, his name's Dr. Stuart Fishbein, and his specialty is supporting breaches and twin births. Um, he kind of, you know, he learned in a time, he went to, you know, his OB training in a time where people weren't so totally afraid and, um, yeah, afraid of those variations of normal and so he learned how to support them. And then it was over time that obstetrics decided that they're way too scared of those options and want to just automatically C-section all of them. But what has happened is that they've mostly stopped teaching how to, you know, well, what do you do if you do actually have a vaginal birth of twins or breach going on? 
just whatever it happens um so that's not being passed along as much and so not only are breech births being pushed to be um c-sectioned and twins being c-sectioned automatically just because some believe that that's just better for whatever reasons um but on top of that they're literally losing the skills the knowledge of how to not do it without a c-section <laughs> so i know that was long-winded but that's why i flew out of our awesome bubble on oahu all the way to la okay concrete jungle all the way um what's for that because he's like oh here's some weird ob guy who's like attending births at home and attending you know the ones that they're most scared of like oh i didn't go fly out check this out i want to learn so yeah i flew out there and then um jamie tagged along for this adventure too which made it that much more awesome so and that was funny because i was like i have a two-week window and then i laughed and i was like who wants to have someone come and shadow them for two weeks like what's Right. Nobody wants that. Like nobody wants. And and he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> come along." Exactly. He's so down to because it's all about teaching the skills. Anybody who wants to learn, he wants to give them that opportunity. Right. Because in his OB world, you know, most of the OBs aren't interested, and that's disheartening. It's like, why don't they want to know more? And, and he wishes that more residents were interested and students were interested. And every now and then he gets people inquiring, but um, it's usually mostly midwives and <laughs> out of hospital providers that are into it, um, which, yeah, whatever. So anyways, we flew out there. 